scripture is taken from the 34th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, and we'll read verses 11 through 16. That's Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land uh, to, to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the, by the ravines, in all, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my people, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. On last Sunday night, I began my Advent preaching. We were blessed last Sunday morning to have a wonderful and a powerful message brought to us by Pastor Aldo Leon, reminding us of why Jesus has come. But on last Sunday night, I began my Advent preaching with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1, that all of the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus, which is to say that Jesus is the substance and the fulfillment of all that the Father has promised. Now, when we see it in that light, the birth of Jesus is really a matter of God making good on his promises. And not only does he make good on his promises, it is a matter of God substantiating those promises that he has confirmed provisionally through types and shadows. And so really, in essence, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised for the salvation of fallen humanity. Now hold in mind that God has made a lot of promises, both small and great. They range anything everywhere from the temporal and the mundane to the spiritual and the eternal. But all of them have their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. So in essence, Jesus is the promises or is the fulfillment of God's promises. And you can say that the real season of the Advent, the essence of the season of Advent, is to celebrate the fulfillment of the promises that God have made. And the promises that he has made find their fulfillment in Jesus. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is to look at some of the promises, because as we said, those promises have a wide range. They are small, seemingly small, and 
it would be hard to say that anything God gives us is small. But comparatively speaking, some of the things that God promises are small and temporal. What I want to do is begin with the big ticket items. Uh, We want to look at four particular big ticket items that God has promised and that he has delivered in the person and work of Jesus. Now in doing this, what we'll do is look at the, the, the need that God's promises connects to And then we'll also see how those promises are fulfilled in Christ. So as we look at our text this morning, as I mentioned, there are four particular promises that God himself makes that Jesus is the fulfillment of, but we want to see the need that those promises are connected to. The first one is this in verse 15. Uh, Jesus, or God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Let me just say this, by the way, uh, as, uh, as an overview for this, this prophetic piece of scripture. Many people think that the, the promises that God makes concerning the restoration of Israel in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, and other places, refers to the establishment or the reestablishment of national Israel. But that's far from the case. Actually, we are told that they already, they they were given the chance in the land and they failed. And therefore, they have been scattered as a result of their failure. And what God does through the prophets is he promises what they only typified. And what they typified is God's uh, covenant kingdom. And so the fulfillment of these promises is not in ethnic national Israel. But the fulfillment of these promises is in the kingdom of God as established in Christ. We see this, by the way, in Paul's teachings in Galatians when he gives us the parallel of two women and two mountains and and, and two sons and two covenants. And he reminds us as the people of God that we we are the children of the free woman and we have been given it, given a covenant of grace. And then he says, but the, the woman of the bond servant or the bond woman is likened to the Jerusalem below. Whereas the Jerusalem that is from above corresponds to uh, the, the, the people of God. So therefore, we are of the Jerusalem from above. Not the Jerusalem of the earth. It is, we are the heavenly kingdom of God, and that's what he is establishing. So he's not promising to reestablish an earthly kingdom. But he is promising to reestablish the true, full kingdom of God. And in doing so, he makes four particular promises. And the first one is this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. God promises I will be the shepherd of my sheep. Now, the question is, what problem, what human problem does this promise correspond to? And I would argue that what this promise corresponds or connects to is the fact that in our fallen state, we do not intuitively know or desire to do what the will of God is. In our natural state, we do not desire to do and be what God has intended us to be. As a matter of fact, what is said in probably one of the darkest periods of redemptive history in the book of Judges, 
a refrain that is repeated throughout the book of Judges is that there was no king in Israel in those days and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Therefore, in our, in our fallen state, we do not intuitively know the will of God and we do not intend to do the will of God. In fact, the way of truth in many respects, the way of truth, the way of righteousness actually conflicts with our own desires. It conflicts with our comforts and therefore we reject it. We need a shepherd because we are, we, we are, we, 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 we are wild and out. Or as Paul puts it in the New Testament, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Our every action, every action that we take or everything that we refrain from is because of what we, def- we find desirable. And the truth of the matter is in our fallen state, we do not find God's will desirable unless it fixes an immediate need that we think we have at the moment. We don't see what's wrong with us. And therefore, as Proverbs says, there is a way. That seems right to a man, but the end thereof leadeth to destruction. Again, as Paul says, we have all like sheep gone astray. Therefore, like the sheep, we need to be herded into truth. God promises to be our shepherd because we need to be led into the pastures that are right and righteous. Our, our natural path, as, as Paul, and he, he actually is quoting from the Psalms, but in, 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 Pro, in Romans chapter 3, Paul cites a number of Psalms where it says, They have all together become unprofitable. There is none that seeketh after truth. There is none that seeketh to do, with right, uh, to do right. There is none, he says, that desires God. And he says their feet are, are swift to run to mischief. With their minds, they, have, they are devoted to the things that are not profitable. And so, therefore, God promises, I will be their shepherd, my sheep. Now, hold in mind that Adam didn't need a shepherd before Genesis 3 because he was created in an upright position and he remained and he saw what was good and he desired it. But the moment that he turned from what God had given to him, the moment that he ceased to do the will of God, he became incapable of of, of seeking out the way of truth. So therefore, God has promised to be the shepherd of his people. So if if, if God promising to be the shepherd of his people corresponds to our, in, our, our, our inability to righteously desire what is good and to pursue what is good, then how is this promise fulfilled? Well, this promise of God being our shepherd is fulfilled in Jesus as he says in John chapter 10 that he's the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that is prefigured in Psalms 23 And he is the good shepherd that is described and set forth here in in Ezekiel chapter 34. And not only does God fulfill the promise in giving us the good shepherd in the person of Jesus, but brothers and sisters, he also has fulfilled this promise by giving us faithful under-shepherds 
that Christ has appointed. And so therefore, here's my, 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 the, the, the first gift that is unpacked here in Ezekiel 34. The first promise that is connected to the gospel here in Ezekiel 34 is that God promises to be a shepherd for his people. Therefore, the birth of Jesus is the birth or the gift of the good shepherd. Here's the second thing. In verses 11 and 12 and also scattered throughout verse 13 and and throughout this passage, we see God saying this, I myself will search for and seek out my sheep and I'll rescue them. I will, and then he says, uh, not only will he rescue them, but he says he will bring them into the fold. Brothers and sisters, before we can be shepherded, we need to be sought out. And we need to be brought back into the fold. This promise of God, again, speaks to us in our condition. So let's look at three aspects of our fallen state that this promise of God corresponds to. It speaks to the first, first of all, the fact that we are lost. We are lost. That's why he has to seek us. We're not where we're supposed to be. But not only does it speak to the fact that we are lost, he has to seek us because we are oblivious to the fact that we are lost. We think we're all right. He has to seek us because we're comfortable at being lost. But thirdly, it speaks to not only the fact that we are lost and oblivious to the fact that we are lost, but it also speaks to the fact that we can't get back on our own. You see, even if we weren't oblivious to the fact that we are lost, then we should be awakened. Even if we were awakened to the fact that we were lost and we know that we are lost, and God were able, if he, if he pointed us to where we need to be, we do not have the ability to get back to where we were. You see, brothers and sisters, Adam kicked out of the garden, even though he knew where the garden was. He couldn't get back in it. And so in our fallen state, we need a shepherd because we, we every man... Is, is following his own instincts. We are following our fallen intuition in terms of what we ought to be, what we ought to do, what we ought to say. And we are, we need, so we need a shepherd. But we need to be sought out because we're lost. We need to be sought out because we're oblivious to the fact that we're lost. In fact, we are happy in it. I've often said this about diaper uh, or, or potty training children, you know that you are making progress when they are uncomfortable in their soil diapers. But when you go and you can, you know, you know they need to be changed from a room away, and you go and they're just smiling, you got a long ways to go. Brothers and sisters, our problem as fallen individuals is we are lost, we don't know that we are lost, and we're proud to be lost, and we can't get back home. And therefore, God says, 
outcome to them. He doesn't give us a road map on where the fold is. He doesn't, he doesn't send us messengers to say, seek the way, seek the way. No, he says, what I'll do is I'll come to them. I will seek them out, and I will bring them into my fold. Now, therefore, I would argue that this is fulfilled. If, if our need is manifest at three levels, then it's fulfilled at three levels. How does God bring us back into the fold? I would say that it is fulfilled in Christ at three levels. Number one, Jesus in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. Here's what he gives us an example of. Jesus ministers to those who are lost and near. In other words, he goes to the religious folk. He, it's, I love the fact that Nicodemus came to him by night. Because Jesus, and, and sometimes we paint Jesus into being what he was not. And we say Jesus was a revolutionary. He was a radical. That he came and upset the order. No, Jesus was accessible. He went to the Pharisee's house. Jesus was accessible. He allowed Nicodemus to have court with him, even though he came in the cover of night. And so what Jesus does is he reaches out. Yes, he challenges them where they are. But Jesus makes himself available even to those who would have considered themselves at least ceremoniously near. But here's what we also see in Jesus' earthly ministry. We see him not only dining with Pharisees. We see him dining with tax collectors. We see, him, we see him dining with tax collectors, and, and he's at, 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 at one person's house. He's at Simon's house, who was a, a Pharisee one time, and, and he went to dinner at his house, and there was a woman of ill repute that had the nerve to be at Jesus' feet, washing his feet. And the, and, and the guests, they said, oh, if he were really God, he would know what kind of woman that she was. But brothers and sisters, that's the whole point of the gospel. Jesus did know what kind of woman she was. He says of this woman that she, she was forgiven much, and therefore she loved much. Here's how Jesus carries out God's promise to come and seek us. We see him saying in in John chapter 4, I must needs go through Samaria. Because when he gets to Samaria, it's high noon. All of the women who usually go to gather the wealth, uh, gather water from the well uh, in the village, they are already gone because they usually get there about 9 o'clock in the morning. High noon, nobody wants to be toting water from a well, especially up on a hill. But there was one solitary figure. And here she is in the midst of her disgrace because she had a reputation, another woman of ill repute. At the end of the story, the beautiful thing is this woman who had been married several times and was living with a man that was not her own. Jesus tells her who she is and he tells her who he is. And even though she went to the well initially to get water, We see her at the end of her encounter with Jesus throwing away her buckets because she's received the well of living waters. And while men gave her a reputation, she goes looking for the men 
And she tells them, come see a man. <laughs> come see a real man. <laughs> and then we see her later with men and women. And she's telling them about Jesus when he comes to town. It's almost as if she's invited Jesus and she can't shut up about how good he is. And finally they tell her, honey, we sisters, we, we got it. He's the Savior. We know who he is. You've already told us. Jesus came to demonstrate or to fulfill God's promise to reach out to the uttermost, to the guttermost, and bring us unto the Savior. We see this not only in Jesus' earthly ministry as he brings in outcasts and he goes and touches lepers. He goes to the blind. He goes to Gentiles and let them come to him. That is the fulfillment of God's promise. So at one level, at one level, the fulfillment of God promising to be a shepherd to us and come to us and seek us out. And to bring us into the fold, it's fulfilled in Jesus' earthly ministry in reaching out to religious folk. And thank God he still saves religious folk. Because we need it. There are so many people who are fortified in their system that they have no time for the Savior. And he seeks us out. And he seeks us. He seeks us like Isaiah who was in the temple the year that Uzziah died. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He seeks us out as, as Nicodemus who was a, a chief Pharisee. He seeks us out. He seeks us out in the same way that he seeks out Saul of Tarsus. Who thought he was religiously righteous until he met Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to seek us wherever we are. It's fulfilled in Jesus going to the religious and the outcasts and bringing them near. But this is also fulfilled in Jesus sending those that he touches back to the places that they came from. We see this most expressly with the man who was isolated from his family and he was down in the graveyard cutting himself and he was full of demons and Jesus encounters him in the graveyard. And you remember how he cast the demons out of him. And when he cast the demons out of him, the man comes to himself. And when he comes to himself, he turns to Jesus and says, I want to go with you. Can I, can I be one of your disciples? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You, you go back home. You go back home. There's, there's a daughter that has seen you make a fool of yourself. Go back home and publish the goodness of God's grace at home. Go back to where you messed up. Go back to, to the people that you left. And let them see the difference that a gracious God can make. That's what he does. He, he doesn't let everybody join the team. He sends some of us back home. Brothers and sisters, that's how he reaches. He reaches into the uttermost and to the guttermost by touching people and sending them back out to touch other folk where they came from. But thirdly, he fulfills this promise of gathering by commissioning the church collectively in evangelism and missions. The resurrected Jesus tells us to go into all of the world. Don't make any differences or exceptions. Go into all of the world, preaching and teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you. And so Jesus is the fulfillment 
of God's promise to reach out and and to seek us out. And and so therefore we know that there's no place that God's will, or there is no place that God has willed to save that he hasn't sent his word. And he sends us out either one by one, and sometimes he sends us out as teams. But in any time, strangers who have been brought into the covenant community go out and reach out to others, it is God fulfilling the promise that I will go to you where you are. Isn't that good news? Brothers and sisters, we don't have to get ready to come to God. What he promises is that I'll come to you. One of the things that I appreciated last week about Brother Aldo's message is that he reminded us that in the incarnation, Jesus descends to us. We don't ascend to him. So he sends us out to tell all of those folks. Do, in fact, do we know some, some, some family members that are trying to get themselves together? Last time you, you talked to them, as soon as I can get myself together, tell them, tell them it's okay. Tell them it's okay. Tell them it's okay that, that you can't get yourself together. And tell them that therefore Jesus has come to be born of a woman for all of those folk who couldn't get themselves together. And all the folk that think they can get themselves together, let them. That's what Jesus means when he says, you know, Jesus, he, I have not come for, for those who are well. Not saying that any of them are, but as long as they think they are. We know there's only one Napoleon Bonaparte, but there are a whole lot of folk who think they were. So he said, let them. There, there is only one Napoleon, but, but all of those, they, they're locked up, they're padded, they're okay, they're, they're in straight, they're, they're not going to do any harm. They just think they're something they're not. But all of those who know what they are, know that you are lost, knowing that you can't get yourself together. In fact, if, you, if you've tried, if you tried every religious formula and it hasn't stuck, if you prayed all of those prayers, and it doesn't seem to work. And here's what Jesus says. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. You see, brothers and sisters, he has commissioned us to tell this world, stop cleaning up. And by the way, I hope in this season of Christmas, and we have our own traditions of how we give gifts, but parents, I hope you're not making your children behave in order to give them good gifts. I hope nothing comes off that gift because they, are, they, they didn't come home on time. Because that's antithetical to the season. No, he doesn't make a list and check it twice to see who's naughty or nice. Jesus doesn't come for nice people. He comes for naughty ones. And he gives gifts to naughty ones. And what evangelism is about is a telling naughty people, first off, that you're loved. And to show them a more excellent way. You see, God promises that I'll, wherever you are, I'll find you. I'll, I'll, I'll come to you. I'll, I'll, wherever you have been scattered. It doesn't matter geographically. It doesn't matter what period of time. It doesn't matter what part of the city. Wherever you are, 
I'll come to you. There is no one that the Father has determined to save that he can't find. But here's the third thing that we see. And and by the way, we know that Jesus does come to us because wherever the gospel comes to us, that is the Father fulfilling the promise in the Son to seek us out wherever we are. That brings us to a third promise that we see here in verse 14. In verse 14, God says, I will feed them with good pasture. And then in verse 16, again, he gives a different diet that he's going to give those that he will condemn. But what he says to his sheep is that I will feed them in good pastures. Now, the reason we need him to feed us Let's be clear on this. Let's 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 be as the scripture as 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 we say. Let's let's be let's be real about this. Why do we need him to feed us in good pastures? What what need does this correspond to? Well, this corresponds to the fact that in our natural fallen state, we eat anything. We eat anything. And brothers and sisters, here's, 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 a, here's an even more profound truth. That in our, even in our re, re, regenerate state, we still have to deal with bad eating habits. That's what Paul means in Ephesians 4 when he says, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You see, the, the, the reality is, brothers and sisters, we just devour, devour. In fact, sometimes we're like, we're like sheep. If you ever, we really, there is a reason we are called sheep. Have you ever seen the eating habits of sheep? They're indiscriminate. They'll eat whatever is in front of them. That's why they have to be herded into pastures that are good. And God says that I will feed them in good pasture. And and that doesn't mean that we still won't have our snacks. We're all in fat camp, right? We're all, we're all, we're all being put on diets. Because we all will still sneak a Twinkie or two in there. We still gourd ourselves with stuff that is unhealthy for our souls. I've often said that I'm not responsible for what you eat. I'm only responsible for what I feed you. And we sometimes still have a craving, even when we discover that certain things are unhealthy for our diet, we crave them. And so what Jesus says he'll do is I'll feed them in a good pasture. I'll give them everything they need. And so even if and when they reject it, it's not because they didn't have it. I'll feed them, he says, in good pastures. So here's the question. How is this fulfilled in the gift of Christ? And I would argue this way, that, that this promise to feed his sheep in good pastures is fulfilled in Christ, first off, in his gift of the gospel and the reason we emphasize the gift of the gospel is because we all know uh, we all have a basic sense of right and wrong 
and we can eat law until the sun goes down. We'll eat law all day long thinking it's gospel. That's what the rich young ruler had done. He had eaten, he had eaten law, 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 law to the point where he says, oh, what does the law say? Oh, I, I've kept that from my youth up. And Jesus gives us a dose of gospel. And the gospel is something that we can't make up. That's why Paul says it's above anything that we are able to imagine or to think. And so here's what God does. He fulfills this promise to feed us in good pastures by giving us a Jesus who preaches the gospel course of his earthly ministry in fact in the very beginning of his earthly ministry right after his baptism Jesus goes into the synagogue and he picks up the scriptures from the book of Isaiah and it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor and to set the captives free and then he closes the book and he says today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence Jesus fulfills the promise of God feeding his people in good pasture by offering the message of the gospel throughout the course of his earthly ministry. But then not only does he fulfill it in that way, but we would argue also that God fulfills this promise or Christ fulfills the promise of God feeding his people in good pastures through the continuing ministry of the word of God and the sacraments in his church. That's where he feeds us. It's not in Holy Spirit laser shows. It's not in liver shivers. But God feeds us, not with junk food that satisfies the flesh. God feeds us in good pastures by giving us the regular ministry of word and sacrament, and by word that is the presentation of the law as it truly is, and the gift of the gospel, which tells us of God's mercies and grace as it is in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's why Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, tells the apostle Peter in John chapter 20, after Peter's gone back to fishing, And remember when he was kind of ashamed because of his failure to acknowledge Jesus and and the night that he was arrested and Jesus sought him out. Again, there he is seeking. He seeks him out. And then he tells him this. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, Lord, you know I do. Then do me this. Feed my sheep. And then he goes on three times. Feed my my flock. And, And what does Peter have to feed the flock of God? He has nothing more than the gospel of grace. He has nothing more than the sacrament of the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. Brothers and sisters, if lost sinners are oblivious to the fact that they are lost, how much more oblivious are we to what we really need? Thank God for parents who made us eat our vegetables. Because if we were all able to pick our own diets as children, it would have been tasty. But you think we have health issues now. Mine would have consisted, in fact, my parents used to always tease me because they would take us to different restaurants. My father always wanted us to experience different restaurants. And it didn't matter where we went. I always ordered the same thing. 
hamburger, french fries, and root beer. I remember once they took us to this fancy restaurant out in Santa Monica overlooking the pier and, and my father looked at me after I ordered. He says, wait a minute, you, you, you could get that at McDonald's. <laughs> and then later I realized, you know what, boy, that was free. I could have just ordered and experienced some stuff. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're stuck with. We, wherever we go, we're going to eat us, which is really usually when we eat our equivalent to hamburgers, fries, and root beer, our equivalent to that is just religious stuff. And we will order it wherever we go. We just want another program, something else for us to do. And what he's saying is, no, what you need, here, eat some grace. Eat some grace. Eat some gospel. Have another taste of, of, of the, the body and blood of Christ. And maybe that'll strengthen your organs. Maybe that'll strengthen your senses. Maybe that'll, that'll, that'll make you healthier. Maybe you won't think you need an anointing if you had more of the gospel. Maybe you won't let somebody put some oil on your forehead if you had more of what I've given you in the gospel. Maybe you won't think you need to get in this line and send in that request. Maybe you won't think you've been left alone. If you eat from the good pasture and to know that God has given us everything necessary for life and godliness in the person of Jesus Christ. That finally, that brings us to one other promise that he says, and that's in verse 15. God says, I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Oh, what a great promise. Uh, Again, such divine action is needed. Again, this this promise corresponds to a real need of fallen humanity. And the reason this divine action is needed, because we have become scarred in the fall. In fact, we have not only been scarred by the fall, we are scarred in the fall. And we are scarred to such a degree that our abnormalities and our dysfunctions have become the accepted norm. Brothers and sisters, we need to be healed and we need to be strengthened because we don't know that we are diseased. In the same way that we are used to being out of the fold, we're used to being dysfunctional it was I remember going uh, back and forth to Arkansas my parents were from a very small town in Arkansas and one time we went in particular where it really began to stand out to me and that was the first time I took my family back a wife and a, and a son and we're driving through the streets of, of Warren and, and as we're driving through people on the porch are just waving at us <laughs> We had no idea who these folk were. But they saw, they saw an out-of-state license plate. And they're just waving at us. And all of a sudden, you know, you start thinking all these scary movies and stuff, you know, you, waiting to hear music in the background and is, is Freddie getting ready or something, you know, just wondering what's going on. This can't be true. And then you walk through town. How you doing? Everybody's speaking. I'm from L.A. We... You don't do that. 
And it became clear to me that we're used to people being rude. So that when people really take the time to speak, it stands out to us. I see the way Christians sometimes interact. And it's, it's as if we have gotten used to being combative. And we've considered it a norm. And so part of our problem is that we have become functional in dysfunction. And we just say that's just, that's just how people are. And so we've become distrustful. And we, we don't realize that, that we are casting all of our insecurities and all of our problems. We, we think that it's okay. It's okay. And, and Jesus, God, has, has, has brought us into the fold to feed us with a better diet. So that we can see that you don't have to be comfortable in sin. You don't have to be comfortable. And that's what, isn't that what we see with the prodigal son? The prodigal son, he had become so lost in his condition that he was at, and he was so comfortable with his dysfunction that pig slop started to look like a good meal. Until he came to himself. And then he realized the grace that he had in his father's house. Brothers and sisters, God heals us. He promises to heal us, not just of our physical diseases. Yes, we do know, and we touched on this in the funeral service yesterday, that when this earthly tabernacle is dissolved, we know that we have another building that is incorruptible in the heavens. But he's come to heal us in this moment so that even though we are surrounded by sin and sin emanates from us, that we'll never be comfortable in it. That we will not be comfortable with lies. That we will not become complacent with rudeness. That we will not be complacent with judgmental spirits. He's come to heal us. Because God has created us to reflect his image. And the reflecting of his image is seen in our interpersonal relationships. We have become comfortable with dysfunctional marriages and dysfunctional parenting. And God has come to heal us, to show us a more excellent way that while it's true, you did experience this and you were raised that way, but let me show you a more excellent way God promises to heal because of the depths of our destruction or our dysfunction and how does he fulfill this I think he fulfills it in a couple of ways through Christ one we know that Christ in becoming flesh has sanctified human flesh That's what he's done. He has sanctified human flesh. The, The offering that he offers on the cross is a spotless human life. And that's the life that he gives to us. But then also, brothers and sisters, not only does he sanctify human flesh, but he also heals us, not just the disease, 
but he also heals the inertia that causes us to be content and complacent in our dysfunction. Now, here's what inertia is. Inertia is inaction. And so what Jesus does is he heals us from the contamination of our human condition. And then through the power of his resurrection, he gives us the power and the ability to walk in the newness of life. See, I think part of the healing that Jesus gives us in fulfilling the Father's promise is all of those exhortations that we see in the Apostle Paul's writing to put off the old man and to put on the new that has been renewed in Christ Jesus. He has given us, God has healed us by giving us a Savior who in his obedience has met all of the demands of the law that we could not meet. And not only has he offered himself or or kept the law in our place, but in his substitutionary death, he has atoned for all of our sins. And through his resurrection, he has raised us to the newness of life. And he not only has raised us to the newness of life, but he has given us a place so that we can be nurtured so that we can be enhanced in that new life by connecting us to his body. In other words, my brothers and sisters, part of the way that the healing of God manifests or fulfilled in the healing of Christ is seen in us is as he has connected us to a body where we can be exhorted where we can be lovingly rebuked, in fact, rebuked and still loved, where we can be corrected, where we can have access to the gifts of others so that what we can't do, someone else can do in us and through us. And he heals us from our pride, and he heals us from our arrogance, and he heals us from our self-sufficiency, and he heals us by putting us into a church where we are prayed for where we have the word of God washing over us in song, where the word is is ministered to us so that even our secret sins, how many times have your secret sins been exposed by something you've heard in the company of God's people? He's healing us so that we are not comfortable with our dysfunction. He's healing us through his grace to show us not only a more excellent way, But God is healing us, healing us by his grace. He continuously takes us to the cross, not so that we can be saved over again, but he continuously takes us to the cross so that, as Paul says in Galatians, that we can understand what it means to to be crucified through the cross to the world and have the world crucified to us. Brothers and sisters, he heals us by putting us in community where we are exhorted, where we are encouraged, where we have access to the gifts of the Spirit that are dispersed freely throughout his body. Here's my concluding thought. God has promised to shepherd us and to seek us out wherever we are and to bring us into his fold. 
He has promised to feed us with good pasture. And He has promised to, to heal and to strengthen us. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that everything that God has promised has been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus because all of the promises of God are yea and amen in him. Thank God for this season in which we celebrate the Savior. I know we all want new things, but sometimes we need to really open up the one thing that he's given us. Because what he's given us is Jesus. And Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of salvation in him. We thank you for all of your promises of grace that calls attention to our deepest needs, whether we are conscious of them or not. We thank you for your spirit that shows us who we are and shows us what you have given us in Christ. We do pray that you, in this season in which we celebrate the birth of our Savior, would make us more mindful of what you have given us. All of your promises find their yea and amen in him. And we pray that we would find all of our comfort and all of our consolation in your promises. Thank you, Father, for this moment. Thank you for this, this word. And we pray that you would minister it even as we depart. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.